The Be Here Now Network invites you to join Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors for a two-year mindfulness meditation teacher certification program. Get the training you need to guide others in their journey with a powerful online training course and in-person teaching events. To learn more, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash GetCertified. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. Uh, there's a great saint in the. Uh 1800s, named Ramakrishna, who lived uh, just outside Calcutta. <clears throat> and he, he talked about the way that chanting works, the way chanting these names works. And he said that every single repetition of one of these names, these names are called revealed names. They're called revealed names because they appear in this world where we are because some great being uh, kind of brought it in from a deeper place and spoke it here and made the connection between that place deep inside us and something we can hear and and speak and hear in our minds as well. The root of all these names is pure being, is, is, is presence, is awareness, is love, Buddha nature, self, God, Atman, all those things, the same thing, which is what lives within us as who we really are, not who we think we are. So these are the names of that place and we know these names because a being who realized that in that way spoke that name here for us and spoke that name for us to follow that name back into ourselves. So these names have uh, a power or a magnetism. And Ramakrishna said that every repetition of one of these names uh, will have an effect. And it's very much like a seed that is planted according to the causes and conditions and surrounding the planting of that seed. It will grow sooner or later, mostly. And with these names, it'll always grow. It's not like when I plant a potato and it rots. So he said, every repetition of one of these names, every, this is what he said, not what I said, every single repetition, whether you're doing it while you're taking a piss or eating pasta or meditating or whatever you think, every single repetition of these names will have an effect, a positive effect. 
And uh, he said, it's as if the seed is thrown up in the air and caught by the wind, okay? And it's blown for miles and miles. And it lands on the roof of an old house. The seed of the repetition of the name lands on the roof of an old house in the middle of nowhere in India in the 1800s. And in those days, sometimes the roofs were made of of grass, you know, of, of, of mud. Sometimes they were made of these tiles that were made out of mud. And Ramakrishna said, the seed of the repetition of one of these names, of all these names, gets caught by the wind, carried to the roof of this house, and gets caught between the tiles on the roof of the house. Stuck. But over time and seasons and wind and rain and snow and, and all that stuff, the tiles start to break down. And they get softer. And it's at that point that the seeds begin to grow. The seeds of the repetition of one of these names. And the seeds grow. And they keep growing. And they wind up destroying the roof of this house. And they keep growing and they destroy the walls of the house. They destroy the whole house. Ramakrishna says, this house is who we think we are. Our conventional sense of ourself. Me. Me. What separates you from you, from you, from you, from you, from you, is your sense of who you are. You're me. You're me, you're me, you're me. And your me is obviously different than my me. My me doesn't get up that early in the morning. So, this me is a temporary thing, like a house that was built. It was built out of our karmas. It's not permanent. It's a temporary structure. And when the seeds of the name grow and destroy the house, what's left? Everything. Everything. There's no longer that little space inside the house that's separate from all the other spaces inside all the other houses. Now there's only everything, everywhere. Well, you might notice that he doesn't talk about how me feels while all this shit is happening. (laughs) Why? Because it doesn't matter. That's just me cranky and nasty and dying. We don't pay any attention to that, do we? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we do. That's all we do, actually. We might chant a few names during the day, but basically the whole day is, what am I doing now? When am I going to do that? What do they think? What am I doing? Me, 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 all day long. So, any little bit of practice you do is a seed that you're planting. And it doesn't matter what you think about it because what you think about it is just what you think about it. And that's going to change according to whether you stubbed your toe or you took a hit of grass or something. It's just going to change. It's always changing what you think. That also, it's like the wind that blows around. It doesn't mean anything. 
but we think it does, so it does, because we think so. So, because you cannot think yourself out of a prison that's made of thought. Can you? No. Because every thought is the prison itself. Every thought catches you and clings to you and you cling to it and you think that's what you think. And it is. So you're stuck there. How do you get free? Practice. Because practice is a, plants these seeds that will grow at the right time when they're ready. And they will dissolve this feeling, this false feeling of separateness that we have. And it's false. It's not ultimately real. It's based on things that created it. And if it's created, it's going to uncreate itself sooner or later. That's the way it works. There's a great book called uh, Apprenticed to a Himalayan Master by a wonderful teacher named Sri M. And uh, I know him, and he was telling me that uh, he went to visit the Dalai Lama to ask for his blessings. Sri M is now in the middle of a walk through India from the southernmost tip of India to Kashmir. He's been walking for... 11 months now, and he'll be finished in about five months. Every day, walking with a group of people. When they go through the cities, more people come, but when in the middle of nowhere, it's just maybe 20 or 30 people. So he went to His Holiness to ask for his blessings, and His Holiness said, well, I can't walk with you. you know, he said, I know, I know, but I'm just asking for blessings. And he said, okay. You know, he said, the Dalai Lama said to Sri Am, he said, I've read your books. You said that that can't be known through the mind. So then how can it be known? So M said, Your Holiness, I meant that it could not be known through the ordinary mind. Ah, you should say that. <laughs> so it's the ordinary mind which we live in. We live in our ordinary mind. All of us, you're all in mine, I'm in yours. It's just our perceptions. But that can only be known through a different part of, a different aspect of mind, which is not included in ordinary mind, daily mind, worldly mind, the busy mind, the mind of thoughts. So how do we break down this house? And you see, in the house is where we keep all our stuff. Our selfishness, our greed, our shame, our fear, our anger. That's where we keep all that stuff. No house, no place to keep it. So it floats away. Because stuff revolves around me. And when me is no longer there, there's no stuff anymore. However, you do have to throw out the stuff personally. You can't just break down the house and leave the stuff. 
because you get stuck in the stuff and then you don't even have a house to live in. It's terrible. The rain, get rained on, and snow. And so in the process, while we're doing these practices, it's very useful to pay some attention to our stuff. If we don't deal with our stuff, our stuff will deal with us. There's just nothing, there's one or the other. And for most of us, our stuff is very busy dealing with us all the time. So we just chanted for a half an hour, right? During that half an hour, there was some shift in our motivation. Even if you were bored out of your miserable mind, there was still a shift in your motivation for that half an hour. You were no longer agreeing to believe and follow every thought that came through the mind. You were going to release it and come back to the chanting. You were trying to pay attention to something other than your thoughts. That's really huge. That's huge. Nobody in my family that I ever heard about tried to do anything else but pay attention to their thoughts. So you just did something probably that nobody in your family for generations has ever done. And there's going to be those seeds that we planted are going to come to fruition. And it'll probably be when you're driving down the highway and all of a sudden you start singing Hare Krishna. First of all, you make sure nobody's in the car with you. <clears throat> so, this kind of practices, it, it, these practices, the practice has its own uh, logic, its own way of filtering through our life. And it doesn't depend at all on how we feel about it. Especially when you're doing the practice, your job is to sing. Not to be thinking about what, anything else. Is it good? Is it bad? How long do I have to do this? Why did I come here? Why is he singing that song? Can he sing something else? Just another thought. And the more you do it, the more you get used to how it feels not to be stuck in that thought-making machine. And it's not like you can pat yourself on the back and say, wow, I'm not caught in that thought-making machine, he thought. <laughs> that doesn't work. But what happens is as time goes on, you wind up spending less, you, you spend more and more time not engaged quite the same way with your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions. You don't notice that because when you're not engaged with your feelings and your emotions, you, the evaluator, is not there. You're just not there. You're here. And that's a different place than there. So the real work happens when you're really not uh, expecting it. And 
it's like, uh, who, who is it that said that? Something like, uh, enlightenment is, is like an accident. We, we spend our whole lives preparing for an accident. Something like that. I don't know. But we wind up spending less and less time in heavier, darker states of mind. More programmed states of mind. States of mind that are involved with getting what we want or getting rid of what we don't want and that whole, that whole thing. And, and your own happiness, your own feelings about yourself become less and less, they stay less and less right in front of you all the time. You, you get freed from that whole obsession about thinking about yourself. Anyway, questions or anything? Meet me behind the cafe. <laughs> but it's not signed. I ain't going. <clears throat> Nina said she remembered enlightenment is an accident and we spend our whole lives practicing to be accident prone. Something like that. Okay, there's a hand and we have a microphone so I can hear. Hi. Um, one of the questions that keeps coming up for me <clears throat> is what do I want and finding out who I am and my true nature, so getting rid of the small self and the personality, that ego thing that you were talking about, to hone in on what it is inside from the gut sense. And I can't say it. I can't verbalize it. I don't know. So I mean professionally, like work-wise. <clears throat> And so I'm trying to figure out how to divine that and if it comes just over time through the practice or if there's other stuff you can do to help, you know, sort of lead the way. To help exactly what? Say it again. People keep asking me what I want and I keep saying, I don't know. Don't the fuck off. And then, duck. <laughs> what do you care? What do they care? What do you care what they think and want to know? Uh, you know, that's not really your question. Your question is, what do you want? And the answer is, how the hell do I know? Um, you know, you can't explain this stuff to anybody who's not already doing it because most people just get born watch TV, drink beer, and die. And then that's it. There's nothing you can talk to them about. And it's a shame, but unfortunately you can't. And the other reality is that the only reason that we're doing this in the first place is because for some reason or other, we recognize that there might be something deeper to find in life. Something that lasts, for instance, underneath all this stuff that comes and goes. 
But if somebody's not looking for that, what, you know, if somebody's not hungry, you can't force them to eat. So you just smile and say, I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> That's it. You don't have to, you know, upset anybody's boat, you know. But if a person's really asking, then you can have a conversation with somebody. Because in conversing with somebody, you might recognize more about what you really do want. But only if the person's really into the, you know, there's some space in there. Most people don't really care. But if you're doing something that doesn't fit with what they think you should be doing, then they have lots of questions. But there's no answer to those questions other than you just love them. And that's it. And then they don't ask any questions. You love them to death. And you do. Why, why, why shouldn't we, you know? Because people are threatened by, by uh, anything that's different in life. It threatens people. They, they feel insecure. No, that's not our job, to make people feel bad. It's the other way around. If we're doing this work at all, and if it's working at all, we recognize very quickly that uh, we'd rather people felt good. Why should they suffer needlessly? Right? So you're trying to make things easy. And in doing so, you're feeding yourself as well. You never really know anything, you know. Let's face it. Later, we'll know. But we won't be asking the question then, so it won't matter. Now, we want to know, and there's no answer to come. <laughs> Except who we are. That's it. Who we are is hungry and looking for something. What it is, we can call it a lot of different things. You call it what you want. Or don't. Call it anything. Just live. When I first walked into the room where Ramdas was, the very first time I met him, I was, what was I, 21 or something like that? And uh, very confused, very unhappy, very looking for something, right, you know, but not even really, didn't really even formulate that. But when I walked in the room with Ramdas, where he was sitting, all of a sudden, I knew that whatever I was looking for, was real. It was real. That was a big thing. I still didn't know what to call it, but it, I knew that it was real, it existed, it could be found. But what was it? I'll let you know later, when I know. And that was only 40 years ago, so. Good luck. Why do you think we're so afraid to love? Why is it so easy to give unconditional love in that form? Why you know, is it so hard for us? I, I what asked, the hell? I asked Siddhima. Siddhima is a, a, one of Maharaji's great devotees. She's with him for over 40 years. I said, one time I was sitting with her in the back of the temple, and uh, all the, the grandchildren and cousins of this family that I knew very well came, 
for blessings. One of them was getting married, so they came to, to have get the blessings of Siddhima and Maharaji in the temple. And there was so much love among these kids, right? I have a cousin that wouldn't talk to me if I was, believe me, would never talk to me. So I just saw so much, and I said, Ma, what is it with us, with Westerners? Why can't we love? Why can't we? And, and here, I'll tell you exactly what she said, and you do what you want with it. First thing she said, what were your parents eating when you were conceived? <laughs> cow. They were eating cow. So, I mean, this is what she said. Then she said, what were they thinking? Okay, next. And then she said, and then affection was used to control you as a child. And when that happened, love became essentially uh, a manipulating technique. And then you had to give them what they wanted to get what you needed, and they blah, 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 blah. And so love is out the window, finished from day one. What? What she said, I can't hear her. So it's curtains for us? Yeah, but the curtains are open. What's your problem? Okay. I don't, I don't, you know. It's up to you. Yeah. This is the, this is, this is why we are how we are. And when you know that, you can do things to alleviate that situation and, and short circuit those programs. You have to pay attention. That's what we're doing here. That's what all this is about. Deprogramming us from the karmas that we are swimming in in this lifetime at this time, which we ourselves have created in our own past. There's nobody to blame. People are agents of karma for us. They don't make the karma. They're just, they're the agents of our own karmas. Our parents are part of our karma. Agents of clearing or creating? uh, Say what? Agents of clearing or creating karma, both? Yeah, I would say both. They're just, they're part of the show. They've been written into the show the way they are. And they have a show of their own that's also written that we don't know anything about. You know, most of us don't know our parents as people. You know? I mean, I know a lot about my parents now because I found out things. But growing up, we don't really know what they think about, what they, what, what they feel about themselves. But I tell you one thing. This is my theory, is that the way we see ourselves is the way our parents saw themselves. They saw themselves in a certain way, and that's what, how we learn to see ourselves in a certain way. Not so much how they saw us, but how they treated themselves. We learned how to, uh, we, we developed that way of treating ourselves that way. And, and we're programmed, but so were they. And so were their parents, and their parents, and their parents, and their parents. So there's, there's no curtains, you know, we're here. And uh, we're doing our best. You wouldn't be here if you weren't interested in figuring this out in the first place. And that's the first qualification for doing it. Like I said, most people have no interest in this at all. None. Zero. Even including the people who come to Kripalu for psychological help. Including those number of people over the course of the whole world and all human beings 
very few people are interested in getting free. So it's just the one burning. I, you know, I was introduced in 1972 at the age of 17 to yoga by a Catholic priest. And I've been on the path ever since. And I'm still asking the same questions. Good. 40 years later, like, is there ever an answer? No, you'll just stop asking questions. Oh, maybe that's the answer. But stop asking questions. You, it'll, they'll stop arising. You'll spend less time in that questioning place and more, more time just being. And when you're just being, you're not questioning. But yeah, in order tired, to... tired, you know, it's tiring. Asking all the questions all the time. Yeah, nice. well, you, you have to do some practice, you know. The more practice you do, the less time you'll uh, be reinforcing those uh, behaviors of questioning everything that can't be answered. There's no answer for those questions. It's your state of mind that keeps replenishing itself moment after moment of dissatisfaction. Bah, 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 on and on and on. Yeah, that's just mind states, impermanent, temporary. When you're paying attention, you see them come, and you see them go, and then you see them come again. But eventually, the, the part of you that experiences the coming and going gets deeper and more familiar to you. So you're sitting in there as things are coming and going, like birds that fly through the sky. You don't hold on to each bird. They just fly through. You let them come, you let them go. But right now, you're grabbed by every little thought and an emotion and state of mind. And you're not released until that energy is spent. And then you fall back into yourself for a billionth of a second, and you're gone again. So what happens over time in practice is that you, when you're dropped by something, you spend more time being here. And you get more used to what it's like to be freed from the obsessive flow of thought and, and more present. But well, 40 years of practice and right back to the beginning is basically the deal. Lucky. Yeah. Good. Because you have to pay attention. That's the key to everything. For 40 years, you've been doing practice without paying attention. So pay attention and everything will change. Mm -hmm.